Welcome to Bible Over Brews. Deep thoughts fermented over time and text. Tonight, magic. And we come to you, we've got George. Hello. Gumby. Hey, what's up? Steve. I'm back. Mike. Hey there. And I'm Aaron. My wife is listening over my shoulder. We are going to be starting with uh, Masthead once again. Uh, uh... The Hazerot Angel Pumpkin Ale. Okay, got that right. It's the Hazerot Angel Pumpkin Ale. This actually smells delicious. We've already poured it. The Hazerot Angel at Lakeview Cemetery is said to bring bad luck to anyone who touches it. Our pumpkin ale will do you once better and is brewed to bring good luck to those who drink it. It is an amber ale mashed with oodles of pumpkin and spiced with cinnamon, nutmeg, and ginger. A true fall treat with a silky mouth feel that will leave you yearning for those cool fall nights and perhaps brave enough to touch the Hazerot Angel if you dare. Here comes the accent. Go ahead, do it, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's coming. Oh, man, that's really good. That's actually excellent. That's rich. It's that's... not bad, but I'm not exactly yearning for anything like the advertisement said. That's <laughs> 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 it's good. It's good. Yeah. Everything at Masthead's delicious. Tastes just as good as the last time I, I had it. I like the nice amber look to it as well. It's it's almost got like a, a nutmeg hue to it. Yes, you can. We can that taste the nutmeg. It later comes as you. Uh, yeah. Start breathe. And even though it's uh, a pumpkin ale, it do, it's not as. Uh, what do I want to say? Pumpkin-y? Yeah, right. Exactly. No, I was just about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like drinking butternut squash or something, you know? Well, it's no pumpkin. Yeah. Like, really. I honestly I don't. I hate pumpkin. I love pumpkin. I, I, but. I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of the pumpkin ales. Right. Um, I like it when it's more of an American. A- <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like it when it's, because uh, most of them are too overbearing. I, I like agree. it. Like yeah. fat heads. Yeah. They're too pumpkin-y. Yeah, a few of them are just a little bit too pumpkinish. When it's a yeah. beautiful accent like this, I, that's enjoyable. I think yeah. I really do like yeah, yeah. fed too. Well, yeah. When you drink it, though, you, you don't feel like you're drinking a pumpkin pie. <laughs> no, it's sweet, but it's not overly nutmegged like Correct. some other stuff. Yeah. yeah, right. But this one does bring with it, and it's not a bad thing. Uh, it does have a, a bitterness afterwards, so mm-hmm. there's this bitter value, but it's it's still really good. And when it when you first start drinking it, it, it it's like uh, it's not. I wouldn't say smooth, uh, but it has really good depth to it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind being slapped in the face with some pumpkin after I swallow. Yeah, wouldn't mind at all. Um, so, it, but it is good. But yeah, I, I like those pumpkin ones. Uh, they were talking fat heads, pumpkin. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, to each their own. <laughs> That's why there's so many kinds should, of, uh, should I just of beer, leave? right? Should I just exit no, 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 not at all, not at all. <laughs> um, honestly, I haven't had fat heads this year yet. So, so I I can't compare. Um, I know they change a little bit seasonally, and even from year to year, it changes a little bit. So, now Kentucky Bourbon makes a great pumpkin ale. I do enjoy that one. Travelers makes a nice pumpkin shandy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, but that is good. So, magic, the gathering. Since we're all here, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on magic, people? doesn't exist <laughs> okay there's one mm. often you know a lot of the old testament stories we were just uh, at church we we're talking about elijah today and how he 
challenged Baal to, you know, a duel, like, hey, my God versus your God, and um, he poured water all over his sacrifice, and up went in flames, and it just sort of harkened me back to the Exodus, where the magicians were competing with uh, Moses, as he was, you know, working God's miracles, and they were able to kind of stand toe-to-toe with a lot of the miracles, and I... So I, I think it has a big part in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and the magicians, I sometimes wonder because there's that one goes back and forth. Were they actually using staffs? Or there well, there supposedly is supposedly there is a way to train a snake to hold its body stiff. Right. So were the magicians actually holding staves that change the snakes or were they simply hypnotized snakes they did that in the second harry potter or drug yeah there we go or drug they did that in the second harry potter films (laughs) chamber secrets i think (laughs) (laughs) and and the big python the last two yeah right (laughs) (laughs) weren't they called props (laughs) (laughs) sleight of hand was a little more difficult back then (laughs) so the first one on topic I brought the. I bring this one up first because honestly, I'm gonna, probably going to take a little slack on this one. But mm. I think I'm coming that, at you. <laughs> I'm coming at you then. Whatever it is, even if I agree with you, I'm going to just be devil's advocate and just go oh, the other. Please do. Uh, yeah, I don't want you to know what direction I'm going to come at you from. <laughs> please do. I find Wicca. He is younger than you. I, you're right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that argument would go the other way. I'm smart. <laughs> I, I find Wicca to be the most watered-down, uh, blasé form of magic out there. Um, it's I find it to be more of like the uh, Lilith Fair female empowerment propaganda piece, more so than actual magic. I could be wrong. <laughs> I don't think I am. <laughs> um, can you help me out then and help me understand what is the definition of uh, Wicca then? Like, uh, to a term, I guess I just... I have an idea. I just, if well, we're going to discuss, I just want to know exactly what I'm absolutely what claim. Absolutely. Well, here, uh, let me read uh, a little bit for you. Thank you. Although there were precursors to the movement, the origin of modern Wicca can be traced to a retired British civil servant, Gerard Brousseau Gardner, in 1884 to 1964. Gardner spent most of his career in Asia, where he became familiar with a variety of occult beliefs and magical practices. He also widely in Western esoteric literature, including the writings of the British occultist Aleister Crowley. Returning to England shortly before the outbreak of World War II, Gardner became involved in the British occult community and founded a new movement based on reverence of nature, the practice of magic, and the worship of a female deity, the goddess and numerous associated deities such as the Horned God. He also borrowed liberally from Western witchcraft transit, well, traditions. Following the 1951 repeal of England's archaic witchcraft laws, Gardner published Witchcraft Today in 1954, founded his first coven of followers, and with input from its members, especially author Doreen Valente, developed modern witchcraft into what it is today known as Wicca. It spread quickly to the United States in the late 1960s when an emphasis on nature, unconventional lifestyles, and a search for spirituality divorced from traditional religions were especially in vogue. So that that, that kind of should give you a, a bit of a uh, bit of an idea of where Wicked Wicked comes from. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
I actually have an aunt who's Wiccan. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. One of my aunts is Wiccan, and and she she like most Wiccans, she tries to say, well, you know, our pagan you know religion dates back further than anybody else's religion, which just isn't as you can see what I just read off shows you well. it's not so. There are certain traditions that you may be able to harken back further, like the Druidic uh, practices over in uh, uh, Ireland and parts of, uh, of Europe. But Wicca, as, as it is established, is brand spanking new to our time. Is there any reputable Wiccans that aren't like emotional emo high school girls <laughs> I was looking I for some online and I really couldn't find any I'm around you know some people who claim to be Wiccans and things like this and as you say it, it's a lot of misdirected uh, emotions exactly what it is you're, you're totally correct on that you know that uh, realize that so what it is is that tradition, traditional religion has fallen short for them. And so they use this as a, as, oh, I'm doing this now. Right. And for me it seems like, and again, and again I want to make a large blanketed statement by the small amount of experiences I've had, um, but it seems like to me, like you said, it's maybe some misdirection, some emotions, and almost just seems like an effort to kind of counterculture. Yes. That would be my interpretation of I'd say that's pretty spot on. See, I, I just think of Lilith Fair and women who don't like to wear deodorant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, I would say primarily the, the women I do meet. I was, they are I was w- glad it was juice and not me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, admittedly, the most of the Wiccans I meet are female. They do seem to wear deodorant, but uh, <laughs> so you stereotype busted already. Yeah, I've, I've probably come across five in my life. One was a, a man. I mean, he was he was a comic book writer and uh, did seem sort of the anti-culture sort of thing. And, and like Steve said, I, I feel like at some point they all have been burned by Christians. Mm. Yes. And I feel like they just... Both literally and figuratively. Yeah, so, I mean, none of them really have this foundation and they don't even seem to really re- embrace... Wiccanism or <laughs> Wiccaness, <laughs> um, as much as as you would think, but they they would they would just say, oh, we worship the environment as our goddess. Well, they, they are the they crystals are, and things like that. Well, they, they are, mm-hmm. yeah, they are poly, they are polytheist polytheistic in their beliefs. So they they believe in multiple gods. Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Are they really turning to, you know, being a Wiccan because they're really just rejecting? Uh, traditional Christianity? Yes. No, no, they believe in the old gods is really what it comes down to. They, so there, there's really a tie that they believe what happened in the Old Testament and all those stories that there's legitimacy to it. Well, I mean, more theirs is more based towards the pagan gods. Okay. Um, like I said, Druidic beliefs and uh, the old cultures. Well, here, here, let me, let me read a little more, a little more for you. Uh Despite variation within Wiccan community, most believers share a general set of beliefs and practices. They believe in the goddess, respect nature, and hold both 
polytheistic, and pantheistic views. Most Wiccans accept the so-called Wiccan Read, an ethical code that states, if it harms none, do what you will. Wiccans believe in meditation and participate in rituals throughout the year, celebrating the new and full moon, as well as the vernal equinox, summer solstice, and Halloween, which they call Samhain. Wiccan rites include invoking the aid of the deities, practicing ceremonial magic, and sharing a ritual meal. Most controversial to outsiders is that Wiccans call themselves witches, a term which most Westerners identify with Satanism. As a result, Wiccans are continually de denying any connection with Satan or devil worship. Wiccans have also attempted to establish ties with other polytheistic, like Hindu, and nature-oriented, like Native American religions and communities. Interesting. So, and that is from Britannica. <laughs> um, so they do they do hold on to both, like I said, polytheistic and pantheistic. They do also believe in like the pantheon. Um, pantheon. Think of Greek gods, you know, where they 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 had a pantheon of gods uh, that enacted together or sometimes fought each other. But um, they they hold on to both sides of that belief, and it does vary a little bit from coven to coven, um, sometimes considerably. Interesting. But would you think that, um, I mean, speaking of modern Wiccans, at least that's been my exposure with them, do you feel that they, this is an easier belief for them than, than just believing as the traditional Christian views? Mm. You know, one God? I mean... Oh, I mean, it's kind of a hard. It's treading a lot of water because now it opens a whole new subject matter. It does. Okay, so in the Christian sense, okay, the term God is misconstrued. Yes. Um, God it actually comes from the Greek gut, right? Um, it actually means to invoke a spirit. So once you go into the Old Testament, uh, Elohim is the word for God, but it also just literally means a, a disembodied spirit. Mm -hmm. um, the difference was that there was Elohim, Yahweh Elohim, who was the creator spirit. So it, it gets a little misconstrued. We'll, we'll pull a whole episode on that. Um, yes. <laughs> so we're not going to we're not going to I, to I rabbit trail in this I too much. A big hole yeah, here, yeah. Buddy, we're not going to rabbit trail too much in this. So. On meaning of God, um, we'll cover that in a different episode yes. mm -hmm. because that's a many-tiered animal. Yeah, what, what I'm saying though is that it's in in a sense of their thought process. We we as traditional Christians believe in Yahweh, mm -hmm. so just say Yahweh and and that you know so that's who it is. There we go. So so with that. Whereby, because of the distrust of Christians or whatever, or, or, or things that happened to them that you know they were, dis, you know, disenfranchised or whatever, who knows whatever reason it was, and there's many multitudes of them um, that they chose that this is a much easier way because I, there's a multitude to believe in, well, and I could, I could, you know, nature. It's it's easy. It's well, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's so much that. I mean, it's like if we look at it from our side, um, you know, the Christian side, 
it's it's not as easy because we're no, talking not. about an invisible creator God, something we can't see. Correct. So on the nature side of it, I can see where it's a little easier because no, you see what you believe in. Right. So you can attach uh, a different meaning to something that you can see. It's materialistic. Right. So I could see where that's that's much easier to coincide your belief with that. There's a tiger. Okay, well, I believe in the spirit of the tiger. You know, you can, you, you have association. So I could definitely see where you could uh, create a, a, a deeper set quite quickly if you were not familiar with the idea of an invisible entity. Mm-hmm. So... so in the broad sense, magic, from the Christian point of view, okay? Okay. If we look back all the way to the Old Testament, which I'm not even sure if we can have the argument that that, that is Christian in the Old Testament. Well, that's another episode. I'm gonna. <laughs> Are we to look at all the stories like we heard today, Mike, in church, anything that's not attributed to Yahweh in his doing mm-hmm. is magic? If anyone else has magical powers, that could, is that what magic is, and is it bad because it's not Yahweh? Well, My by, quotations, you don't see them, but by I'm definition, and, and this is where actually I was, I don't have slides for this. So we're gonna just go off the cuff. Um, cool. On this on this side of it, I find it very interesting because magic, by definition, would be pulling powers or energies from a deity that has more ability outside of yourself. That would essentially be what it is. And you'll find every single culture that professes magic is taking it from a deity. So in some sense, the passage that Gumby's talking about that was spoken at church this morning, which I wasn't there, but I didn't hear it, but I'm very familiar with the passage, though, is that that is magic. It could be defined as such. Yes. Based on the definition that you had just spoken, that's what it would sound like. Mm-hmm. Pulling powers from a div- from a divine Absolutely. Divinity. For example, for example, um, divining. To know the future, divining, right? Almost every religion and culture has an idea of divining the future or divining the divine will. That's where actually where divining comes from, right? Um trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future or what you should do. that That's like in every single culture. Mm-hmm. You know, even even down to water dousing, right? So, <laughs> um, well, it is actually acceptable to the followers of Yahweh in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yeah, I think that's what I'm getting at. Uh-huh. Yeah, do because we legitimize it or is it, yeah. is it sin? Well, think about it. There's the Urim and the Thummim. In the Old Testament, right? And the priest kept those inside of his vestment. So if he had needed to know the will of God, he would cast the Urim and the Thummim. So that's divining, right? So it's the devotion to the deity that defines whether or not it is appropriate or not. So the reason why other magics were forbidden, and this is going to be very controversial right here. I know we're probably going to get some backlash, but... <laughs> bring it, bring it. <laughs> Yeah, if it if you're looking at the reason why it was condemned from others, it's because mm-hmm. it's literally loyalty to a different deity. That's what that's that's the the whole idea of the reason why it was not allowed was because it's loyalty to a different deity. Because mm-hmm. Yahweh states that 
that thou shalt have no other gods except me. Right. Because I'm a jealous God. Yeah. So that your loyalty, and, and that's the crux of being a Christian, is your loyalty is to Yahweh. Exactly. Not to other deities. I mean, that went all the way into the New Testament, too. Right. Think about it. Uh, they lost one of the apostles, right? Judas. Yes. Well, there were... In, Think, right, well, hold on, hold on. They, they lost him, right? Yes, they did. And they had to figure out between two different disciples who would be the next apostle. Right. How did they figure that out? Casting bones. Casting, they casted lots. Yeah, exactly. So even into the New Testament, they were still using that that process, that that procedure. So, but their loyalty was strictly to Yahweh. So. So, once again, it's it's about your loyalty to the deity rather than the intrinsic idea of magic itself. But, but even as as mm. Christians, though, we we I know as you know, I'm sure we all come to these points. We realize that we come to these like forks in our road in our life. Like, what direction do I go? And you have to these hard decisions that you have to make. And so then you um, you cast what's called a fleece to see which direction to go you know and, and, and God in some miraculous way shows usually mm -hmm. sometimes and if, or, or usually if you don't hear an answer it means just stay right where you are yeah well and it, 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 it changed if you think about it right around Pentecost because that was when the Holy Spirit came to mankind correct and you didn't have to rely on divining methods after that so that's really when everything shifted um, that that was the the coming together of the Jews that was professed. Mm -hmm. That was the the ushering in of the new kingdom. That was I mean, all that stuff was culminated right there right. at Pentecost. So, so you think we don't have to cast lots anymore? <laughs> no, we don't have to cast lots. But 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 I think there are times in our lives when we we have decisions. You know, we come to these as they say, the forks in the road. What where. where you want to take the better, the the best road. You know, you have a good road and you have a better road, but yep. you want to make sure you're on the better road. And so you, you know, through prayer and you know, and just agonizing and to say which way do we go? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Usually, when most Christians cast lots now, it's at the casino. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We know who has the magic there. Right? <laughs> it's the house. <laughs> well, I mean, with Wiccanism and, and magic, I always thought, you know, when I talk to the people that I know that it's almost like a karma religion where sort of the negative feelings or this or that, but a quick Google search shows that it is more mysticism than that. I just came across a, a flying spell where you collect dove feathers and willpower and yeah. stuff like that. So it is full-blown... What oh, I yeah. would consider witchcraft, yeah. you know, thinking but you can do these things. Now, going back to what Juice had mentioned, I thought, um, weren't we going by the definition that you had to, um, that power comes through a deity? Correct. So, wouldn't, if they did to have this power, wouldn't it have to come through Jawway? Oh, it depends on whatever deity they have loyalty to. But it couldn't really happen unless their god was Jawway. Right? Why? Well, wouldn't that make it? Wouldn't that make it multiple gods? Are we, is that is that something where? So are you saying Yahweh can only be the real God? 
I don't know if I'm saying I. That's what I. I guess I was. I thought I. Uh, well, sorry, let me back that I, up. I was under that impression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, yeah. because and then we said he's a jealous god. So now we're saying that there's, there's other gods, multiple gods, right? Oh, that have power. Right, I'm learning. Well, the Bible actually never says. Sorry, it's a new discovery for me. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you should have just played it off, man. You should have been like idiot over here. <laughs> like, come on, George, read your Bible. <laughs> the Bible actually never says there are not other gods. It does, and we're going to do this in a, in a near episode coming up. It does define who those gods are, but. It never refutes that there are other gods. That's interesting. And why is why is it Yahweh is a jealous God? Does it actually say that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, does I, he want us to be it's, jealous? It's actually very simple because if you have a fealty to another God, he can no longer protect you. So he's jealous because he can no longer, you know, protect you. <laughs> okay, gotcha. He can no longer take care of you. He can no longer provide for you. He can no longer. Once, once your fealty goes to another being, uh, you're out of his hands. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Jealousy is an English term. I feel like yeah, it doesn't do it's justice. A, gotcha. It's, it's a better deeper. way to define That's fair. It. Mm-hmm. It, 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 his love for you is so great that that uh, that by you turning to other deities. It, it breaks his heart to the point where he'll kill you. Well, that's well, it. Could here's no, here's the deal with that. And, and <laughs> yeah, it could. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, did I say something? Oh no, no. no. Uh, okay. No. Gummy's got my back. No, I'm just I'm expressing no. that I I've shared a lot of those yeah. views of the Old Testament. Yeah. That are you know, you don't yeah. know what to do with sometimes. Hmm. That's all. Yeah. And, and magic is certainly a part of that too. Oh yeah. So, but. Even then, that is actually in defense of those who are loyal to him. Because once you have a bad apple, it goes south really fast. And then the more people... In in other words, like for example, if you have gangrene on your little finger, if you don't cut that sucker off pretty soon, you're gone. So in order to protect those who he can protect, he has to take care of those who... Aren't. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like from an ethical point of view, I think it's just stronger to continue to love and protect that person regardless. And he did, if you look throughout the expanse of the Bible, now, going wait. into the New Testament. Did he, or is he jealous, so, killing people? Well, remember, jealousy is in providing for those right. that he could take care of. George, our magic is not working on you, man. No, not try it. Not try it. Love- <laughs> no, that's good. That's well, good. You know what? Those are great questions, George. They are. It is. Really great. Well, think of it this way. Okay. Think, of, think of it this way. If you're in the military right now, all right, and you're fighting on enemy soil, if one of your people all of a sudden turns their guns back on you and says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm with ISIS now, you can either choose to take him out or let him gun down your fellow people who are loyal to your cause. Coming no, from I, Marine, yeah. he's out. Right, exactly. It's 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 that mentality. I, and it, well, I mean... That metaphor, I, I get it. I just feel like from a, a much softer, less abrasive, uh, <laughs> metaphor where someone's just maybe, a, you know, uh, you know, they're not buying into the 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 book here. Mm-hmm. Well, but <laughs> you, it, it, you know, or now we're we're casting them off because yeah. they're not buying. Into well, the book. now now you're thinking of it from a modern twenty first century point of view. 
if you take it to the ancient world, <laughs> if you take it to the ancient <laughs> world, <laughs> if you take it to the ancient world, you're talking about tribal feuds, which means that if if you let this one go, if you let this go, he's gonna come back with reinforcements and take out your whole tribe. So you you can't think of it from a modern point of view. You have to think of it from the ancient point of view. So it's a two sided coin. I I, I believe <laughs> me. I, I share, and sometimes I still struggle with those same feelings about it. There's and it's a whole other theological issue. But there's a what Brian touched on last last episode uh, about the bloodline of Christ being a huge yeah. part of the reason why there was quote unquote a lot of violence as to take certain things out because of the future of where the bloodline would lead and say he knew that and wanted to corrupt it and knew what he had to do in order to yeah absolutely so it it offers me some solace some okay. <laughs> it doesn't it, believe me I, uh, there's, I, I just think that there's things that I will always not be able to reconcile completely but that's but, good though you know what I, that's one of those things that I actually like yeah because it, it, it shows that you have deep thoughts on that and that's yeah, that's yeah. good I agree I do like that and that's that's the and I know Aaron you've shared this a lot too but it, it, that's the part of just uh, wrestling with your salvation yeah you know and, yeah. and just wrestling with your your what you believe and why you believe what you believe and and you don't always get those answers but it's so important to realize that that why you believe what you believe and and wrestle through that and you may not understand it and, and it takes a lot of time. I've been a Christian a long time, and my faith has just, I mean, just exploded in the past six years. But it, it's it's taken a, it's taken me to get serious about it. It's taken me to say, you know, just not accepting the pat answers, you know, because it was just, you know, it's just the way it is. Well, it isn't just the way it is. It's like, why is it that way? Yeah. And that's yeah. what's really important, and to realize that why, why do these things happen? Why? Why is life such a bitch sometimes? You can't express him, buddy. But it is. Steven. <laughs> Steven. Well, I mean, I'm... I'm no, I'm, I'm telling you. No, I like, I like, I like where you're going with this. It's raw. It, but, but it's, it's you're making raw, a good point. And it's the way it is. But you know what? Life is raw. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling Barb. <laughs> no, I like it, though. Yeah, yeah. That's it, Specifically, it's real. It's in, real. in Genesis, where uh, I think Brian mentioned it, the seed between... The woman mm-hmm. and what, what is enmity? Is that what it is? The enmity with the seed of the woman and of well, whatever you want to call them, the enemy, yeah, the, uh, whatever, yeah, which has to do with the bloodline all the way to Christ uh-huh. and the war that exists, which ties back around to magic, which it was taught to a lot of the people. It was from the yeah. fallen ones, absolutely so tied back around. Yeah. I didn't mean to wrap no, no, no. That's perfect. Actually, that's tied back in later again. <laughs> we can anyway. Um, so we're going. We're going from the craft, and we're going to the movie uh, uh, Chucky. That's where we're going. Next. Oh, so I like this. Nice, nice. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was exactly. That's the next one. Is voodoo. A traditional Afro-Haitian religion is a world-encompassing philosophy, medicine, justice. And religion. Its fundamental oh. principle is that everything is spirit. Humans are spirit who inhabit the visible world. The unseen world is populated by Iwa, spirits, Miste, mysteries, Anzavib, the invisible, Zanj, angels, and the spirits of ancestors and the recently deceased. 
All these spirits are believed to live in a mythic land called Jinin, a cosmic, quote-unquote, Africa. The God of the Christian Bible is understood to be the creator of both the universe and the spirits. The spirits were made by God to help him govern humanity and the natural world. So, so voodoo is way more like B.A. in the movies. Like when you read the definition like that, it sounds kind of wimpy. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, I'm like, where's the dolls that we stick pins in? And, yeah. And the curse part. Yeah. Right. I mean, think about it. If, if you had a, a, a Wiccan and a voodoo guy next to each other. There's no doubt who's going to win. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't know they believed in the Bible, though. Yeah, in fact, here, let me continue. The primary goal and activity of voodoo is to sevi'iwa, serve the spirits, oh. to offer prayers and perform various devotional rites directed at God and particular spirits in return for health, protection, and favor. Spirit possession plays an important role in Afro-Haitian religion, as it does in many other world religions. During religious rites, believers sometimes enter a trance-like state in which they devote, may eat, and drink, perform stylized dances, give supernaturally inspired advice to people, or perform medical cures or special physical feats. These acts exhibit the incarnate presence of the Iwa within the entranced devotee. Voodoo a ritual activity, e.g., prayer, song, dance, and gesture, is aimed at refining and restoring balance and energy in relationships between people and between people and the spirits of the unseen world. Speaking in tongues. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's a Pentecost <laughs> revival. Well, actually, <laughs> actually, if you. Um, a lot of this in, in the Catholic Church, too. Uh, to a degree. To a degree. You're going to yes. see a lot more of it in the charismatic side. Well, I, I can see that, too. But. Uh, but I know, like, if you, I know, like, my wife was raised Russian, and mm -hmm. they talk about the evil eye. Yes, yes. So this is probably right in. Dun, dun, dun. You know what? I, I was actually going to incorporate that. I just didn't have room. Well, I, I got it. <laughs> but, but, that's, but the evil eye is very prevalent across all the ancient cultures. Correct. Yeah. It's kind of funny because we use it in just, like, slang terms over here. The all-seeing yeah. eye? Yeah. Well, no, well, no, no. The, the evil eye. The evil, the evil eye. eye. The evil, yeah. The evil eye in ancient <laughs> culture. Okay. Well, I'll touch on it a little bit. Um, in in a lot of ancient cultures, the evil eye is literally uh, supposed to be a uh, a sorcery that is used, mm. and you can invoke uh, curses through your eyes to people. Right. Men don't have that, do they? Unfortunately, it's thing. it's <laughs> mostly it's mostly a, a, a lady oh, like property. It's usually women. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> no. <He's> joking. <laughs> no, but it is uh, across. And and if you think about it, uh, if people are sitting around, you know, that you know their wife might walk by. And, oh, she gave me the evil eye, right? right? So for us in the West. We just use it as as a slang term, but in the ancient cultures, it's very real. So is yes. that like blasphemy if we were to go to Haiti into a voodoo, I don't know, village? Only if you have fealty to their religion. Fealty? Uh, uh, devotion. Oh, so if I say, why give me the evil eye, they won't be like, bless blasphemy. Oh no Stone no! Him. They will they will they will tell you right away and, and apologize and say oh no 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 we're not giving oh, okay. you the evil eye because it, it to it them it's reverence. yeah it's, it's to the old cultures it's very real mm. so yeah interesting uh, unless you're a, a foreigner walking up and they think that you know you're just looking down on them they might be like oh yeah oh yeah this is the evil eye 
<laughs> Dr. Heiser did an episode recently on the evil eye. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah, and, and you'll find that the the older the older religions and cultures uh, very much consider it to be a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very so, real. Let me uh, finish finish with uh, the quotation here. Uh, Voodoo is an oral tradition practiced by extended families that inherit familial spirits along with the necessary devotional practices from their elders. In the cities, local hierarchies of priestesses or priests, Manbo and Ugan, children of the spirits, Unsi, and ritual drummers, I'm not going to pronounce that, comprise more formal societies or congregations. Societi? In these congregations, knowledge is passed on through a ritual of initiation. Kanzo. I think it's a Japanese word. In which the body becomes the site of spiritual transformation. There is some regional differences in ritual practice across Haiti and brunch branches of the religion, including Rada, Dom, Ibo, Nago, Dorio, Manding, Petuo, and Congo. There is no centralized hierarchy, no single leader, and no official spokesperson. But various groups sometimes attempt to create such official structures. There are also secret societies called Bizango or Sampuel that perform a religion Judicial, thank you. Function. <laughs> so, it's it's very much. It's been passed down for a very long time. Uh, voodoo, uh, hoodoo, juju, however you want to call it. It's been passed down through generation after generation through ancient African descent. So, very very real. Ask Chucky. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, from the Christian point of view, though, is it? I mean, it's bad. It's just. Well, I mean, because of colonization. A lot of them actually are Christian. That's the weird part. Um, now, here's here's where it gets a little bit weird. Okay, so is that they actually do have a relationship with the Catholic Church to a degree, to a degree. Yes. So, um, not all of the actually even the current pope not not all the popes agree with that. Um, I think they're using it more as a way as to try to pull them into the faith rather than the acceptance. Um, but they do have a slight relationship with it. Um, like I said, I think it's more of, of a ministry thing than it is anything, but yeah. I want to know what George is going to say. Well, I don't even. I don't know. I, my mind was just blown when you said that. I'm like, I don't even. I don't know anything anymore. So, um. I, I know we have a, a guy in our congregation from Brazil, and and this weighs heavily on him because he's seen, you know, practicing Christians that also embrace voodoo and on how it just can't coexist because of the mm. the black magic part of it. it. It's sort of like you're pick you know you're picking two sides of the fence, and you just can't really do that. They don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like after hours, you're basically almost Satan worship. You know, you're wishing ill will or you're you're praying to other gods, even though you don't know you are. Yeah. He says it's it's devastating to his family over there. He just yeah um, kind of tears them apart. Well, and despite what a lot of people say, because a lot of people are like, well, we we we're it's it's like white magic. We're trying to benefit people and invoke blessing. And but despite what you might say, there is a lot of cursing there's a lot of uh, ill health there's a lot of i mean anytime you're chopping a chicken's head off you know and creating voodoo dolls it can't be a good thing so right. <laughs> there's just there's, there's a darkness to some of it yeah and it in just being like i know even as as a believer myself you know i've been in new orleans and things like this 
man, you get around it, it's like, you feel it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you really feel it, and it's like, whoa, this is like, you know, and it's like, I'm repelled by it. I mean, I don't have any desire to be a part of it, but I feel the, the oppression of it on me, you know, just to say, you know, it's like, wow, this is pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She can't help giving if it swings, though, you know? yeah it's 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 fascinating because there is it is very very prevalent and i mean i i've had just a minimal bit of exposure to it just just from knowing a few people that were involved in it so i i haven't seen the actual practices of it but from what i have seen i wouldn't go near it a voodoo to my knowledge, goes very deep into the spiritual realm. Um, so much so that um, it's spearheaded by witch doctors and stuff. And I know there's uh, there are certain towns in Africa that people are really afflicted by what goes on spiritually as they're being told to go find people who are considered to be albino, where they lack the pigmentation and, um, you know, an an African-American, or not American, rather, an African, <laughs> um, will, you know, lack pigmentation and, and they look to be white. They, you know, any anyone who's albino will have red eyes and they say, oh, you know, oh, the albinos, they have the red eyes and, you know, they go back and forth and that's because oftentimes they're blind. So the witch doctors, they say that um, if the people who are albino are possessed because of their eyes and to go find them and attack them and to come back with whatever it is that they you know they they can their body parts they'll go hunt someone down and come back with their arms and give them to the witch doctor because that's what they request they pay money for them yeah they literally will will you know burn their body parts and turn them into ashes and things and and Sacrifices and it just wreaks havoc throughout the towns. You know, yeah. children who. And that's from the older world too, from the, from the older African societies. Yep. And it's very, very prevalent to this day. Mm. Yeah, they actually have like uh, sanctuaries, if you will, where there's people protecting them, and the albinos move in and mm. basically protect. So it's just like one housing system for yeah. albinos, but it's very dangerous because they'll that's crazy. Yeah, come try to harvest albinos. Right. Pretty crazy. It's, that's said, man. I mean, if you think about it, when you, when you think about like harvesting and poaching, you think of like you know rhinos and elephants. You never think of a person. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah, because they're young. Yeah, I mean, they're they're all young there because it's relatively you didn't survive right as an albino until these protection mm. started coming. But yeah, it's pretty neat, pretty weird. Yeah, kind of creepy. <laughs> I wonder from the outs outside the Christian perspective you know, all these other religions, if they look at the extreme charismatic movement, say, those people are crazy magicians. Like, <laughs> you know, they're just they're it, screaming, they're they're jumping around, they're slaying people by blowing on them. And they're handling rattlesnakes. They're handling <laughs> rattlesnakes, you name it. You know what I mean? And, and, and sometimes I, I, you could almost say pronouncing curses. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I wonder if there's other outside cultures who look at ours and say or at least that one yeah not necessarily orthodox christianity and, and even just coming in kind of uh, agnostic and you know not you know sta- being a fence sitter i noticed that a lot um 
and that is I notice that people that have strong faith, and it could just be different Christianities, and just even like most recently, like it was a, you know, a Jehovah Witness, um, you know, having criticisms of the Catholic Church, and uh, again, thinking the whole notion of holy water and all that, just he found that, you know, he was criticizing that found it you know he found it very strange found it very mm. odd but again me kind of sitting on the fence and like well you know what they'll say the same you know they have the same critiques of you know being Jehovah Witness maybe about excommunication or you know we might have to say the same thing about you know uh, Jewish people not eating pork or whatnot so I feel like all you know when anybody with has strong faith I feel like when you look outside of it you know you start to find things strange when it's not your own mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that's true. And you even see a little bit of that in, like, as far as cultural differences go. If you look at the older denominations like uh, like Orthodoxy, uh, there's slight culture changes back and forth. Not drastic, but, like, well, for example, if you look at Grecian Orthodox, uh, their, their um, fasting is very, very vegan, okay? But then if you go over to, like, Romania, part of their fasting, hey, you're allowed to drink beer. So, you know, it which makes me really want to be part of Romania. But why do <laughs> why is it in religions, juice? Does it like the most you know powerful God Almighty, you know the world's deity, has such a uh, <laughs> concern about our dietary? Well, you know, well, as far as practices fast, here, as far as fasting goes, yeah, so, just say fasting. Even like, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, during Easter and stuff, and you know, you're not supposed to eat meat and you're supposed to eat fish. Like, why, why is he drawing? <laughs> a, you know, and, and uh, this is my joke, but why, that, why draw a line when you're a creator of all things? Why, why are you drawing a line into Delia? Why do you even care? That one's actually good, pretty in depth. We'll have to do. We'll do a whole episode. Of whole that. another day. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because Jeez. that's that's yeah, actually there's a reason why. There's that's a huge. <laughs> that's a large topic. That's actually a very. And it's a good topic. It's a very good topic. Um, yeah, it's very political, and it varies from denomination to not to denomination. But the reasons are good. So that's very encompassing. So we'll we'll do an episode on that. So uh, to invite me back for that one. Okay. Our magic's uh, not working. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So guys, guys, add it to our list. Uh, uh, fasting. Actually, a good time to do that would be like Lent. around February when Lent begins. Yes. Yum. Right. Yeah. Yes. Not Christmas or the holiday. We are. No. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> well, actually, the there, actually, if you go to the Orthodox faith, a faith, there is a fasting period just prior to Christmas. Yes. It's a short period. Mm-hmm. It is a fasting period uh, that, is, if you go to the Orthodox calendar, there's actually a lot of fasting days that are involved in there. Almost half the year. Yeah. Is that yeah. the Ezekiel <laughs> thing? Is that that thing you're talking about, or uh, no? no it, but it, what it, what it really boils down to is the whole purpose of fasting is to deprive yourself of not the so much to deprive yourself, but to take your focus off your your of you and then put it more to, to God. Okay. More to Yahweh. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it, the, the whole idea of a fast is that you weaken the body to strengthen your spirit. Correct. So, that's to, to simplify it. <laughs> Can't put it any better than that. <laughs> In a nutshell. And that, and that kind of brings us to my favorite topic of different magics. Oh, no. This is what I'm going to do. Me too. Alchemy. <laughs> I know some company that name. 
Where's Al- that? Dum- dum- right? <laughs> I, just, I need a soundboard for my next episode. <laughs> like, like a horn, like maybe an idea yeah, song. Yeah. Like, ding! And then, dun, dun, dun. Like, that'd be my role. George, you work on that? All right. <laughs> so, I, prop, I find alchemy fascinating since I was a kid. Because, I mean, when you combine science with magic, how can you go wrong? <laughs> right? So, like, uh, here, to, to quote this. Uh, Alchemy was the name given in Latin Europe in the 12th century to an aspect of thought that corresponds to astrology, which is apparently an older tradition. Both represent attempts to discover the relationship of man to the cosmos and to exploit that relationship to his benefit. The first of these objectives may be called scientific, the second technological. Astrology is concerned with man's relationship to the stars. Alchemy with terrestrial nature. But the distinction is far from absolute. Absolute, Since both are interested in the influence of the stars on terrestrial events, moreover, both have always been pursued in the belief that the processes human beings witness in heaven and on earth manifest the will of the creator and, if correctly understood, will yield the key to the creator's intentions. That both astrology and alchemy may be regarded as fundamental aspects of thought is indicated by their apparent universality. It is notable, however, that the evidence is not equally substantial at all times and places. Evidence from ancient Middle America, Aztecs and Mayans, is still almost non-existent. Evidence from India is tenuous, and from ancient China, Greece, and Islamic islands is only relatively more plentiful. A single manuscript of some 80,000 words is the principal source for the history of Greek alchemy. Chinese alchemy is largely recorded in about 100 books that are part of the Taoist canon. Neither Indian nor Islamic alchemy has ever been collected, and scholars are thus dependent for their knowledge of the subject on occasional allusions in work of natural philosophy and medicine, plus a few specifically alchemical works. Nor is it really clear that what alchemy was or is. The word is a European one derived from Arabic, but the origin of the root word, kam, is uncertain. Words similar to it have been found in most ancient languages with different meanings, but conceivably somehow related to alchemy. In fact, the Greeks, Chinese, and Indians usually referred to what Westerners call alchemy as the art, or by terms denoting change or transmutation. So in a nutshell, alchemy is the idea that you can transmute one substance to another substance, like let's say, lead to gold and it was also always a pursuit to create the philosopher's stone which could, could grant you uh, those abilities plus help you create the elixir of life and so, so so now we went from the craft to Chucky the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles there you go all right I'm following you but here's here's the cool thing I I I've always enjoyed the study of, of historical alchemy because there are a lot of historical figures that are um, integrated into those legends. Um, for example, I'll bring up uh, who I, who's not in the slides, uh, Nicholas Flamel. And Nicholas Flamel, according to some ancient records, uh, was around for around 300 years. There's, no, uh, what's that? Was he alive 300 years? According to legend and a few writings that, that were around. Okay. 
No, he so. wasn't. <laughs> there was. Uh, I'm not, was this I'm not 50, saying he was. 60 years tops. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying he was. All right. But there, there are writings from a charity. I, I'll, I'll try to dig it up because I didn't create slides for that one. Um, there were uh, there was a charity set up in Europe that he would give to. In fact, to this day, his grave actually um, is sitting and uh, is inscribed with the charities that he would give to. So he was a very he was a, a philanthropist. Um, but for 300 years, he kept giving to the same charity, which is interesting because every year mm. his name was recorded as giving to that charity. So, you know, right. take it with a grain of salt, but... <laughs> well, what, what, yeah, what was, uh, what was this charity doing? Huh. Well, it was, a, after 300 years, it was dissolved. I, I believe it was oh. to an orphanage, but... Um, oh. Yeah. So, so it's oh. very interesting. Very interesting. I, I didn't prepare for that one in particular, but it, he's one that's brought up a lot in legend as well. Okay. So... But Rockefeller is still giving money. <laughs> I see. Yeah. I was hoping, I was hoping the there was going to be some. Uh, this is the Middle Ages, though. <laughs> well, that's a modern day, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, um, there was also. Yeah, <laughs> there was uh, the Comte Saint Germain. Um, let me read this real quick because he fascinates me a bit. I have, I have a question for you when you're done. Oh, shoot. Go ahead. Good, no, go ahead. Okay. Uh, it was a European courtier with an interest in science and the arts. He achieved prominence in Europe high society of the mid-1700s. In order to deflect inquiries as to his origins, he would invent fantasies, such as that he was 500 years old, leading Voltaire to sarcastically dub him the Wonder Man. Not just Voltaire, but also Casanova chimed in. His hmm. birth and background are obscure, but towards the end of his life, he claimed that he was a son of Prince Francis II, I'm going to try to pronounce this, Rocacci. Of Transylvania. His name has occasionally caused him to be confused with Claude Louis, Comte de Saint-Germain, a noted French general. According to David Hunt, Hunter, the Count contributed some of the songs to La Inconstance de Lusa, an opera performed at the Haymarket Theatre in London on all but one of the Saturdays from the 9th of February to the 20th of April, 1745. Later in the letter of December that same year, Horace Walpole mentions the Count Saint-Germain as being arrested in London on suspicion of espionage, but was released without charge. The other day they seized an odd man, this is a quote by him, who goes by the name of Count Saint-Germain. He has been there here two years and will not tell who he is or whence but profess that he does not go by his right name. <laughs> He sings, plays on the violin wonderfully. You're getting the evil eye over there. <laughs> I did on purpose. Composes, is mad, and not very sensible. He is called an Italian, a Spaniard, a Pole, a somebody that married a great fortune in Mexico and ran away with her jewels to Constantinople. A priest, a fiddler, a vast nobleman, the Prince of Wales, has had unsatiated curiosity about him, but in vain. However, nothing has made out against him. He is released, and what convinces me that he is not a gentleman stays here and talks as being taken for a spy. Oh. <laughs> so he's, he was definitely an interesting person. <laughs> now, we're, t we're talking about magic, but I'm, I'm hearing with alchemy that seems to be a lot of science. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so where, so where, where's the supernatural? Where's the, where's the uh, deity power coming in when we're talking about alchemy? Um, well, hold on. That's, that's oh, a good sorry. question. Let me continue. Sorry, my 
The Count gave two private musical performances in London in April and May 1749. On one such occasion, Lady Jemima York described how she was very entertained by him, or at him the whole time. I mean the oddness of his manner, which is impossible not to laugh at. Otherwise, you know he is very sensible and well-bred in accent. conversation. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she continued, <laughs> He is an odd creature, and the more I see him, the more curious I am to know something about him. He is very, he is everything with everybody. He talks ingeniously with Mr. Ray, philosophy with Lord Willoughby, and is gallant with Miss York, Miss Carpenter, and all the young ladies. But the character and philosopher is what he seems to pretend to, and to be a good deal conceited of. The others are put on to comply with Les Meniers du Monde, but that you are supposed his real characteristic. And I can't but fancy he is great <laughs> pretender in all kinds of science, as well as that he is really has acquired an common share in some. <laughs> That's an actual quote from her. Oh. So, uh, Walpole reports that St. Germain spoke Italian and French with the greatest <laughs> facility. <laughs> Though it was evident that neither was his language, he understood Polish and soon learned to understood English and talk it a little, but Spanish or Portuguese seemed his natural language. Walpole concludes that the Count was a man of quality who had been in or designed for the church. He was too great a musician not to have been famous if he had not been a gentleman. Walpole describes the Count as pale, with extremely black hair and a beard. He dressed magnificently and had several jewels, and was clearly and was clearly receiving large remittance, but no other figure. So he was in all these different. And this is the interesting part. If you look at these different quotes, he traveled around royalty all over Europe. So it's fascinating, from England to France to Spain to Portugal to. And he was fluent in all the languages. I can't but help feel like he's a fraud, though. <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, here's, uh, I'll throw this one in. Uh, Giacomo Casanova describes in his memoirs several meetings with, quote, celebrated and learned imposter, unquote. Oh. Of his first meeting in Paris in 1757, he writes... The most enjoyable dinner I had was with Madame de Robert Gaguet, who came with the most famous adventure, known by the name of the Count de Saint-Germain. This individual, instead of eating, talked from the beginning of the meal to the end, and I followed his example in one respect, as I did not eat, but listened to him with the greatest intention. It may safely be said that, as a conversationalist, he was unequaled." Unquote. And then it says that uh, St. Germain gave himself out for a marvel and always aimed at exciting amazement, which he often succeeded in doing. He was a scholar, linguist, musician, and chemist, good-looking, and a perfect ladies' man. For a while, he... has he, con man written all over. <laughs> he gave them paints and cosmetics. He flattered them. Sounds Not like that he would make them young again, <laughs> which he must confess was beyond him, but their beauty would be preserved by means of a wash, which he said cost him a lot of money but which he gave away freely. He had contrived to gain the favor of Madame de Pompadour, who, I mean, if you know who Madame de Pompadour is, she was... Who doesn't? Huge, huge across royalty. Had spoken about him to the king for whom he had made a laboratory in which the monarch, Amator de Bourdon, tried to find a little pleasure or distraction at all events by making dyes. 
The king had given him a suite of rooms at Chambord and a hundred thousand francs for the construction of a laboratory. And according to Saint Germain, the dyes discovered by the king would have a material beneficial influence on the quality of French fabrics. You're right, right there. He does sound like a salesman. <laughs> um, but <laughs> so we're so again, I, uh, I again not really being too familiar with alchemy. Where where's uh besides the uh, power of persuasion and some science? Uh, is there really what, what magic or is there so? And pretty much, the, the mystical is combined with magic. It okay. um, you can't define it as one culture because alchemy comes from China, it comes from Arabic uh, lands, it comes from uh, Middle Eastern, it comes from I mean, it's from all over the place. So different people would try to do different things. Um, for example, uh, one group. Let me think. I think it was actually over in Damascus, was trying to figure out how to transmute your soul into another living being or creature. So we're back to Chucky. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so whereas other ones would try to uh, extend your life and create the elixir of life, other ones try to transmute different metals into mm. different uh, uh, substances. Um, so you can't pin any one practice down. But all of it, what dif what kind of differentiates alchemy from standard magic is that they try to combine it with scientific practices. Right, okay. But can I call so, a modern-day chemist an alchemist? Some would. We're going to get to one. Like a, a pharmacist or something like that. What you, what you just described to me, you know, transferring things, messing with genes, to me sounds like genetic you know, genetically modifying things or GMOs or trying to make something that's yeah. innately natural but creating it in an unnatural way now. Okay, this kind right. of hits, it, in, it, hits in my world a little bit because I do natural soaps. Mm -hmm. So I make them. And what happens to them sometimes, they're, they're made with essential oils, you know, nat natural ingredients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of these natural ingredients have these they do some really unusual things yeah and and it's 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 really weird like like i i do a one of my soaps is a thieves oil soap so we heard of thieves oil it's a it's a mixture it, it basically uh becomes almost like a an antiseptic i guess is the best way to hmm. say it you know the combination of it but it's a natural one but are you a better thief afterwards well, well, the reason why it's called thieves is because they, the great robbers back in the plane, lathered themselves and they didn't die, so, so he stole them. So that's the the story behind it. But, but I heard that was a made up story by a person who uh, wanted to promote their product. So, <laughs> okay. so boo hoo with that one. But the, but nonetheless, it, it 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 does things. Okay. And there's been some. Healings and miraculous things that happened with it that that I've made, you know, and it, it's really weird because, you know, um, the, the unfortunate thing is I can't tout those things, right? Because of the laws of this country and you know dealing with the FDA and things like that, I, I can't do that. Yeah, you won't get approval. Well, you know, no, that would cost me one hundred twenty thousand dollars pharmaceutical. It comes right. Shut you down. Shut me down. Right. Exactly. So I. I you but, terrorist. But there are. But there, but it, it's 
I mean, I've seen it actually happen. There's, there's these natural ingredients that, that cure people. Homeopathic yeah. stuff. And, yeah, yeah, things like this. So you have to be... Wait, wait, you can't use the word cure. Well, <laughs> you see it. You see and, dead but, people. But, it's, but the bottom line is it's soap. And that's just really what it is. But the but the thing is, I mean, like, I've had a few recent ones where, like, Really? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like so. It it, it 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 does almost seem like it's sort of magical, kind of. You know. I mean, it could no. be. That it could, could be. be in yeah. how you put it in perspective, but I have to be careful with that. Well, Interesting. Yeah. The Essenes. Ah, yeah. Were you going to eventually get them? I, I don't know, but didn't I, they use a lot of essential oils for healing yeah. and all that? Yeah, we're not going to have time in this episode, but yeah. Could yeah. we call them alchemists? Is that what? Yeah, you I'm having could. a hard time potentially trying to define what I could call an alchemist. Well, see, that's the trouble. Is Okay, so an alchemist, because of all the different diversities inside of alchemy, it's hard to pin it down to one particular practice. Here's kind of what defines an alchemist. You combine science with spirituality. That's pretty much what it comes down to. So you can call that different kind of magics or whatever, but it really comes down to using sorcery, however you define that, with science. That's really what defines an alchemist. Do you have like a modern day guy that you would say we is are. somewhat we are. close? We uh, are. But but before, I have one more quote. Steve. <laughs> or Steve. <laughs> we, we have, we have, I have one more quote for St. Germain, and that will end his segment. And this is, I added this because it gives a little credence to him. So, quote, the old Countess Virgiorgi, who 50 years earlier had accompanied her husband to Venice, where he had the appointment of ambassador, late, uh, lately met St. Germain at Madame de Pompadour's. For some time she watched the stranger with signs of the greatest surprise, in which was mixed not a little fear. Finally, unable to control her excitement, she approached the Count more out of curiosity than in fear. "'Will you have the kindness to tell me?' said the Countess." whether your father was in Venice about the year 1710. No, madame, replied the count quite unconcerned. It is very much longer since I lost my father, but I myself was living in Venice at the end of that last and the beginning of this first century. I had the honor to pay your court then, and you were kind enough to admire a few barcolers of my composing, which I was used to sing together. Forgive me, but that is impossible. The Comte de Saint-Germain I knew in those days was at least 45 years old, and you, at the outset, are that age at present. Madame, replied the Count, smiling, I am very old. But then you must be nearly 100 years old. That is not impossible. And the Count recounted to, ma to Madame Georgie a number of familiar little details which had reference in common to both to their sojourn in the Venetian states. He offered, if she still doubted him, to bring back to her memory certain circumstances and remark which. No, no, interrupted the old ambassadress. I am already convinced for all that you are a most extraordinary man. A devil. For pity's sake, exclaimed Saint Germain in a thundering voice, no such names. He appeared to be seized with a cramp-like trembling in every limb and left the room immediately. I mean to get to know this peculiar man more intimately. And that was from the, that was actually from their meeting um, where at both times he was the same age from when she had known him when she was younger. 
So that adds a little bit of credence because that actually is a historical quote from the courts. Hmm. I'm not saying that this is 100% true. I'm not saying it wasn't his father. But according to the account, that may have been him. So the one modern alchemist I will bring up is Sir Isaac Newton. Ooh, no. No. Oh, yes. No. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sir Isaac Newton was an alchemist. <laughs> in fact, if anything... In a spiritual sense, he was an alchemist? No, no, he was an alchemist. In fact, he may have been more of an alchemist than anybody else that I can bring up as an alchemist. Oh, yeah. What? Oh, yeah. All right, elaborate. Okay, so, okay, so, quote, this is from Biography, by the way, dot com. Newton wrote an estimated one million words in alchemy. According to Vokel, many people don't know about Newton's alchemaic work. But it was hugely important because it occupied a large part of his intellectual attention. Much like Newton's groundbreaking contributions to numerous branches of science, his studies of alchemy spanned decades and were extensive in focus and application. Evidence suggests that alchemy influenced everything from Newton's discoveries about the spectral properties of white light to his understanding of the nature of matter in terms of tiny particles. Of course, a portion of Newton's alchemical experiments did focus on metallurgy and the transmutation of one metal into another. What's also remarkable about this particular recipe are Newton's annotations. As he copied the recipe, Newton corrected some of the measurements, noting in brackets where he believed the proportions were incorrect. In addition, on the back of the manuscript, Newton wrote notes in English for one of his own laboratory experiments for distilling a spirit from lead ore. So while the manuscript itself neither explains how sophic mercury could be used to create the Philosopher's Stone, nor concludes that Newton tried to create a sophic mercury, the profound impact that alchemy had on Newton's studies is undeniable. That's from biography.com. So Newton, Newton is perhaps the best example of an alchemist. Pretty stunning, right? I'm still a bit cloudy, um, just because. I mean, was Jesus an alchemist when he rubbed mud on blind people's eyes? Was God an alchemist when he told people oh, Jesus to bathe came into? From the Essenes, didn't he? Yeah. Yes, he did. But was God an alchemist when he told people to bathe into the Nile River seven times? There actually, I see. I didn't include that, but that uh, there actually is a reference to that being a a possible reference to Christian alchemy. I didn't include that, but yeah, it's fairly interesting. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, my <laughs> wife has Lyme disease, and and like medicine doesn't work on her. But um, if you really use herbs and stuff like that, that enhance your body's defense mechanisms and lower inflammation, it really helps her. And I'm oh, yeah. so good. So I mean, that's practicing alchemy, really, because we believe God provided these herbs. Yeah. And so there's a sense of spirituality. So I don't think that they're mutually exclusive, potentially. I mean, and really, all it comes down to once again is is it's combining the your spiritual life with science. So Christians can be alchemists. Uh, well, Sir Isaac Newton was a noted Christian, so yeah, you could say that. But we can't say it's necessarily a bad thing, right? Cannot. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So. 
It just, uh, it, and I find those fascinating. Yeah. I, 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 always, I always thought the old, like the example I gave where Moses was competing against Pharaoh's court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought they were the alchemists, you know, they were using it's whatever the, science to create the illusion of miracles, but they weren't actual miracles. Exactly, illusions, right. Yeah. It seems like that line could get pushed pretty far and back and forth and back and forth, you know what I mean? Because yeah. you could almost call a bartender an alchemist. Because some of the stuff that he mixes, he gives to the people, intoxicates the people. And it makes you feel magical. Right? Yeah. But does it have to be tied to, like, astrology? You know, they look and, and maybe they say, well, God provided this under this these conditions. But, you know, at that point, the scientist wouldn't be an alchemist because he's just saying, hey, one plus one is two. You know what I mean? It's It's not tied back to the creator. Maybe that's the difference. Now it's philosophy. philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ultimately, you, you brace yourself, George. <laughs> you could, you could dive oh, into that see. because um, that. I mean, ultimately, alchemy does impart a lot of philosophy. So, mm. <laughs> you're gonna say something? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> um, is a lot of wiggle room. It seems. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm I'm taken aback by the commonalities between all of these magical practices and Christianity in a way. Mm-hmm. Even back to the evil eye, you know, and on God, on Jesus' uh, um, sermon on the mount, you know, where he's saying, you know, bad thoughts. You know, if you mm. commit murder in your head, you're actually committing murder. And I feel like the evil eye. It's and even Wiccan, you know, that whole um, karma mm-hmm. aspect. I do feel like it is all very similar still. Yeah. And I can see how people can easily switch from one religion to another and still feel like they haven't missed a beat, really. Mm. Or at least at least take parts of Christianity and, and go down that rabbit trail a little bit. I, I'm, so, I'm questioning whether or not alchemy deserves a... A portion in the uh, magic segment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. It did, I didn't get any magical part of yeah. it, except the guy that lived three hundred years. <laughs> but um, um, I don't feel like alchemy uh, deserved a uh, portion in our magic segment today. <laughs> I just feel like that's more science. And, uh, again, I like what Mike said, you know, even about, you know, the herbs, you know, he feels like, you know, that his God provided that for him and, I don't know, in a sense maybe provide some spirituality, but I don't know, I, I'm, I'm hearing more science, I don't know, I don't see anything that's... <laughs> well, like I said, it does, there is incorporations going into different kinds of alchemy of, of using your soul to transmute things and, and transference of soul yeah. and, uh, and mind, um... Kind of like going back to your whole Tucky thing. All right. So, what about cloning? Um, Wait, that's that's true. true. Yeah, there actually is an element. Not, it's not heavily played, but there's a little bit of shape shifting, but not, not really heavily inside alchemy. More of the transmutation of soul. But mm. what was that? Cloning. Uh, not so much cloning, but um, so once what is again, alchemy. Then? What is what is today? What is <laughs> which culture? <laughs> Ours, from our point of view. Oh, oh in America, the last big one would have been um, Sir Isaac Newton. Although there are still alchemists today. Um, but there, if you get to the deeper 
alchemical practices, um, there is transmuting of souls from body to body. There yeah. is. Yeah. And in, in some of the older, more ancient, darker systems of alchemy, there is the invocation of some spirits as well. But, but wow. actually, if you think about it, like even the Heiser uh, podcast that was you know, recently, when he talked about Nar, there's some of that in there. There's some of that that's involved in that too. Right. Where the, uh, you know, you can kill people and different things, you know, right. and transfer into souls. Join us for the rest of the conversation in part two.